Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this this is joe cole this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london London is blue Blue Podcast. podcast All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, joined by Nick and Damakos. And gentlemen, we are here for the Tottenham match review, which about 48 hours ago, I was pretty nervous about. But all of a sudden, I'm feeling pretty good, Nick. I don't know if you saw, but uh, we won. Yes, we did. Um, it, it was a much like the the Spurs matches last year. These were These were kind of top four six-pointers. Um, and I think, you know, given that we were level coming into this one, Dan is a big win and it's Mourinho on three straight losses and it's Chelsea looking up. Yeah. Well, it's a top six, six pointer this season. I think yeah, well, yeah. a more accurate way yeah, to describe fair, it fair considering, <laughs> but we, we, but we had to bring in the, the big guns. We had to bring in the, the sensible side of the Chelsea mic'd up podcast <laughs> to join us in Chris Whittingham. And we are so glad that, you know, it's been a long time since we were grabbing beers in person uh, to get you back on to chat about this wonderful win. The best times, the best times being at uh, at Stanford Bridge and uh, having pints with you guys. Yeah, it's been it's been far too long. I uh, am an admirer of your work and uh, I'm glad to be on the pod. Well, we are definitely looking forward to it. Obviously, I think majority of our uh, listenership is definitely familiar with the Chelsea Mic'd Up podcast. And if you're not, don't be silly. Go go check it out. Um, but before we get into this match review and the three-word match review and what we're going to talk about, Nick, um, a couple of things that from a Chelsea community perspective and, a, and from an awareness perspective, if you look, thinking about history of the club and, and things like that, we, we got to start off with Paul Can- Canneville, unfortunately. Yeah, Can- Canners has had kind of a rough run in uh, on the health front, and I know that you know, his uh, foundation released a little statement that said, we're sad to advise that our founder, Paul Canneville, is critically ill in the hospital after complications set in following emergency surgery. Uh, we're aware that his many followers and fans on social media accounts have been missing his regular posts for two weeks now. Uh, we know how loved Paul is and will post updates as we get them, but ask that his family's wish for privacy is respected and they are not contacted by the media. The PFA are in contact with Paul's family and uh, being very supportive. Please keep Paul in your thoughts and prayers. Um, that was followed, uh, rightfully so, with a flood of every Chelsea fan 
who's ever run across Paul Cannaville posting a picture of them with Paul Cannaville. He's probably among the most accessible former players um, at Chelsea. You know, he's one of those groups that is kind of hospitality on game days and has regular social media updates. Dan, uh, he is a beloved figure at the club and, and a representation of uh, inclusivity and diversity. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we had the pleasure of speaking to him uh, a lo- you know, at this point now, a long time ago in our show's mm-hmm. history, and it was uh, very insightful to hear from him. Uh, has a fun- phenomenal biography uh, about his time as you know Chelsea's first black player. Um, you're obviously doing this in February, which is Black History Month. Um, you know, just you know, definitely worth checking that out if you haven't previously. But yeah, definitely uh, thoughts and prayers from the entire Chelsea community to Paul and his family in what's a really tough time. And, you know, great, great credit again to the We Are The Shed folk for putting together a, a banner, kind of pulling it forward, actually, one that they were doing for Canners in addition. So, you know, Brandon, just, you know, really nice to see the the outpouring of support and, and care and concern. Yeah. And, and the reason I plug our episode with him isn't to be like, oh, we we talked to Canners. We talked to him about his experiences at Chelsea. Like it was literally us just throwing questions at him. So it's a great way, if you're unfamiliar with Paul Cannaville, listen to him and then go, Chelsea fancasts have talked to him. There's there's a thousand other things out there with him because to next point, he is so accessible and he absolutely loves the, the Chelsea family, which he did not love at the time that he was playing the way he does these days. So it's fantastic uh, amount of information that you should go educate yourself on with canners. And again, just all the prayers and best wishes that he's able to recover from the complications and, and continue his spreading of the good word of his experiences. Uh, another one speaking of uh, the shut in Dallas team, Jason down there, unfortunately they announced he had stage four cancer today. We met Jason, our very first trip to London, a handful of Mays ago. And I've gotten to know him just through being in their Facebook group and Mm -hmm. following them on Instagram. And he is, you know, from afar, seems like one of the most welcoming people ever. So our hearts go out to you, Jason. Um, If you know him or if you are somehow connected to the the Shed End Dallas group, reach out to them as a group. This has hit them hard. It's kind of giving me chills right now. And and I know, Nick, you're probably closest to BJ and Jason, the group down there out of all of us. And I saw this on the on the Instagram timeline today and it just kind of stopped me in my tracks. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. Uh, you know, the, the um, amazing thing to me about the Chelsea community in the States is that you, you get to know these people so well and and so frequently. I mean, there are matches you know, with summer you know, stuff now, basically all year round, you get to see people normally at the pub. And I think this year has been hard because that hasn't been as prevalent. And, uh, you know, to see someone kind of go through a difficult time is really, is really a challenge when they feel like they're a part of the family. So, you know, I, I, I extend every bit of help that I can. And I think as our pod can, you know, for, for Jason, as he goes through what's going to be a really a difficult climb, but we're sure he can do it. You know, it's, it's going to be a big one. So, uh, thoughts of prayers to you, Jason, man. We, we love you, all right? Yeah, definitely lots of love um, yeah. from us. But now we have to make the the awkward and difficult transition to the three-word match review and what we're going to be talking today. But this is kind of life lately as we've had to deal with some tough things. And look, we're a family as Chelsea fans. Our goal is to just build the biggest and best community of Chelsea fans. It's not about us. It's about the team and the club. And, and our you know, this is all a part of it. So, uh, we are going to be talking about Tuchel's victory over 
Meltdown Mode Mourinho, and the return of Clean Sheet FC. We're going to talk about some powerful performances by Callum, Mace, Reese, and yes, Jorginho, moving us into sixth place. And Emma Hayes and the Chelsea Women heading to the Conte Cup final, and that Pernilla Harder. Uh, if you didn't see the artwork that Bruce put together today, uh, go check it out on social media. Absolutely fantastic. It so, was quite daft. Oh, okay. Well, oh. <laughs> yep. Oh, and we said he was funny, folks. <laughs> Tip all your right, waitress, Dan, all right? <laughs> Come on. Take take us through the three-word match reviews uh, before we get into our own. Well, there were plenty of great ones today. Uh, shout out to the entire community. Anytime you, you beat... Spurs uh, and, and you know kind of get that London Derby victory. Uh, there's a lot of positive vibes going around, so we, we had some great ones to choose from. Trey with the hop skip win, which you didn't really do the hop skip today, but I appreciate where you're coming from. Big Nash uh, channeling back to the press, co- the most awkward Tuchel press conference with the gin tonic time. Anyway, Kalen with no way Jose. Uh-huh. I almost stole that one. It, it was that good. <laughs> uh, Tana with stressful but successful. Yeah. <laughs> Dean, Correct. our boy Dean Mears with the Derby Day Delight. And then Blake with the Dire Delivers Dub. <laughs> A lot of alliteration this week uh, in this episode, but pan- I was loving all of them. It's they're, hard they're to pandering. choose. Dan, they're pandering to me in my alliteration-ness uh, that, I, that I love every week. But I, I think the Dire Delivers Dub is, is quite nice. I'm a big fan of that. All right. Well, since uh, you're big fans of everyone else's work, what about your work, Nick? What do you what do you got here? Mine is lazy as hell. The laziest one of the year. But every time that we beat Tottenham, London is blue forever. Here, here. That is it. That's all you need to say. Hard to argue. I'll give you that. Uh, Dan, do you want to rip him at all for him calling us lazy in our match preview last time? No, I'm, I'm fine. I'm over it. You know, all right. I'm all about the future. I don't focus on past issues. All right. Well, that sounds pretty boring. Uh, grudges <laughs> are fun. Anyways, what's your three-word match review? Uh, I went with seven of nine. You know, it's a great start uh, for against an informed Burnley and uh, against Spurs here with a victory against Jose. I mean, yeah, seven of nine. Great, great start for Tuchel. Cool. Fractions. Appreciate that. What about you, Mr. <laughs> Whittingham? I'm going to go for Jorginho penalty specialist. He is back from the spot after uh, some nerves early on this season. I don't know uh, what the confidence level of this group was when he stepped up to the spot today (laughs) and the amount of shock that must have gone through all of you when he did not do his hop, skip, and jump. But I do think that was probably the major talking point. Not only his performance from the spot in taking that penalty, but also just his overall 90 minutes in which I thought he was brilliant. I couldn't believe it. He just put his foot through it, put it in the corner. It's great. Didn't, didn't know he had it in him. Nope. <laughs> I, my confidence level was about a two, honestly, when he's going up there. And Car- Arlo White called it brilliantly in, in commentary. Who's their penalty taker? He didn't even hesitate. He's like, wait, Timo sucks. Jorginho sucks. Who else is out there? <laughs> it definitely uh, rattled us a little bit. Uh, mine is, oh, damn, Aspie. Uh, he is back thriving in his right center back position the deliveries he put in today 10 seconds he almost connected with Timo uh I was super hyped on Aspie um and it just kind of goes to show you a man who we were ready to kind of set on his way with Reese James being here turns out he can play with Reese James and that was exciting not all of us were ready to set him on his way I know I I wasn't but Nick thankfully you were flying that flag (laughs) 
I'm not even get into what someone else on social media has been saying. So anyways, <laughs> let's go ahead and hit the gratitudes before we get into the meat of this one. So Steve, Thomas, Paul, Alexi, and Cameron, thank you. Join us on Patreon. Our Patreon is blowing up right now. Tudor Horn a little bit. The Discord, all credit to, again, a community that you can go to, especially when you can't go to pars, you can't go to pubs, you can't even go to Stanford Bridge to watch matches right now. Uh, our Discord has been fantastic. Dan, how about you take the night off? No podcast reviews in the Apple Podcast Store. Yeah, that's okay. They're saving them for the weekend. So I know all the five-star reviews are coming in. We appreciate that love and support, and uh, we'll read them off on our next pod. It'll be great. All right, Nick, take the night off. I guess no housekeeping. No, look, Dan. Dan's trying to lay a little landmines throughout the script. We will be back uh, post-Sheffield on Monday per our usual pod schedule. Um, it's another Sunday match, which is becoming quite annoying, uh, especially as we are in the Champions League again. So really wish the schedulers had figured that out. But we will be back. And we have a whole slate of podcasts this month. We looked at the schedule. It's going to be insane. Seven um, matches in February. Yeah, and, and then additional Matt Law pods, additional Chelsea Youth pod. Tweeds is cooking on something. We're just, you know, full of it. You guys are going to have more content that you know what to do with. Good luck. All right, well, here it is, the match review time. What you've all been waiting for it was, according to Dan, Mourinho's miniature ponies in the Premier League this past Thursday, the 4th of February. And it was at, according to Dan, the new three-point lane stadium, Tottenham nil, Chelsea won. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to throw it over to the official fifth stand app of Chelsea FC. Uh, all the best content, interviews, goals, and even Chris Whittingham on the pod over there. Download it <laughs> if you have not. They let us use the audio for this. But let's go ahead and wind you down memory lane. Revisit this match. Even Jorginho's goal. Here we go. Tottenham Hotspur versus Chelsea under the Thursday night lights in North London. Always one of the biggest games of both club seasons. Tonight is no exception. Only a goal between these two in the league standings ahead of kickoff, though significantly different moods around the respective camps. Once you get the game underway and immediately look for Timo Werner from Aspilicueta, and his header doesn't drop wide by much. That was uh, flashbacks to Alvaro Morata in Cesar Aspilicueta. Great ball, just sees him break the gap. Here's Werner. Ooh, oh, Eric yeah. Dyer, what a strange tackle, and it penalty. is a penalty. What on earth was Dyer thinking there? Easy decision on the face of it for Andre Marin, of course. They will be looking at it in Stockley Park, but it looks pretty cut and dried from the first viewing. And what was Dyer doing? Once he goes to ground there, it's a strange challenge. Can he give the Blues a deserved lead here? It's Jorginho versus Lloris. He's done it, buried it. Lloris went the right way, but it was struck so powerfully and with such placement by Jorginho that no goalkeeper could have kept that out. It's Spurs nil, Chelsea won. Passed the ball out well there from the back, really exploited Spurs press. And look at the options left and right, Mount might go alone. Instead he's found Werner and Aurier. That's the tackle. And put it behind for a corner. Well, that tackle is as good as scoring a goal. Now. Clipped in toward Pulisic. It's a good save. Lloris does really well. I don't think he knows a great deal about it. Here's Mason Mount. Away from Dyer for two. Really good save from Lloris. Just wasn't quite far enough in the corner from Mount. 
Yeah, he doesn't quite get the power either, but he gets the accuracy. It's a super save, isn't it, by Lloris? Seven points from nine for Thomas Tuchel and for Chelsea, but this is not just any old win. This is against Tottenham. Final score at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Spurs nil, Chelsea won. Daniel, sir, you're up. Lineups. It was a lineup. Copy paste. There were 11 FC. men selected into the first team to play against Tottenham. It was Edouard Mendy between the sticks, Antonio Rudiger, Thiago Silva, and Cesar Azpilicueta as a back three. Uh, midfield included Marcus Alonso, Jorginho, Mateo Kovacic, and Reese James, Timo Werner, Mason Mount, and Calum hudson Adoy as the attacking trio. Unused substitutes included Kepa Aretha Blaga, Ben Chilwell, Emerson, Hakim Ziyech, Tammy Abraham, and Olivier Giroud. And we did see a early sub for Andreas Christensen coming in for the injured Thiago Silva and Golo Kante and Christian Pulisic both getting opportunities to come in a little later in the match. All right, quick run of the stats. We had 58% possession, which might be the lowest under Tuchel in his first three matches. Uh, we had 18 shots, but only two on target. Spurs with seven shots, two on target. Um, passes were down a bit. There's a much more even game compared to the, the Burnley and the Wolves matches that we'd played. Um, 19 clearances for Spurs are 13. We had seven corners. We should probably talk about corners tonight because Tuchel was pulling out the sorry book and he had all the set pieces. Uh, we had three offsides to their none, which means we were trying three cautions there too, and 14 fouls conceded to their 20. Um, XG just to check the box Spurs 0.6 us 1.4 plus one for the pen. Another Tuchel match, another nearly empty opposition penalty area. Uh, Kaylee underscore graphics, lighten it up. Chris, I'll let you choose lineup reaction stats that you want to pull out. Uh, when you saw this lineup and how it kind of played out, what stood out to you as a, what do we call you, an unbiased observer? The neutral observer. <laughs> the neutral observer, observer yes. that's right. I even have a, I have a hat that says as much. Uh, so <laughs> I, I do want to kind of kind of uh, build upon what you mentioned with the stats there and kind of how this might be the lowest possession figure of the Tuchel era. Um, I, I, that really only changed after halftime. And I do think that last half hour of the game is kind of noteworthy going forward, especially because Thiago Silva comes out of the game. And for me, the game completely changes on that. Andreas Christensen did a job. I'm not going to say that he was bad, but uh, I, I just think that without Thiago Silva anchoring that back three, if they persist with the system, then they will probably have more issues as teams will presumably try and press them a bit more. Um, I, I did find fascinating that basically no team in the Premier League has challenged a Thomas Tuchel team and for 225 minutes. Then all of a sudden, out of halftime, Jose clearly changed the tactic. And I think it worked to a fair degree. I think the game was much more competitive. And by the end, you were sweating it out. And I would say if you looked at the possession figures, it was like 70-30 in the first half. And if it finished at 58, you're presuming it's something like 50-50 in the second half. So uh, Spurs did come on to Chelsea. Um, but I do kind of wonder if there are some holes in that defense that can be found by a team that's simply trying, right? And you wonder uh, if you know what that back line will look like come Sheffield United and come games that will presumably be more hotly contested. Well, McGoldrick's coming up, and, and he, he owns us. So we got to we, we got <laughs> we, we to take care of business uh, at the weekend with McGoldrick. Yeah, thank you for that prediction. I'm pretty sure last time that was you setting that curse, Nick. Yep. All right. Well, hey, look, we've got a lot to talk about. We're definitely going to kick off with Tuchel taking this seven points from nine. It's almost like the script writer knew what to put for his three-word match review. Uh, and obviously, 
we'll be talking about um, Silva's injury and, and the back three and how things look for that. But first, we're going to take our ad break, get it out of the way, and then we're going to be all content from here on out. So thanks to these sponsors for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, Tuchel takes seven points from nine and notches a win against the annoying little brother Tottenham and regular heel Jose Mourinho. So how good did that feel, Dan? And and we're not conceding shots. Like our defense, again, rock solid. Two on goal. We had, what, one and nil in the last couple matches. Like this defense looks pretty, pretty tidy under Tuchel. It does. And we're also not conceding shots until late in the match as well. So when the intensity died down a little bit and actually when the Callum substitution occurred is when you saw a little less possession, even some dispossession on the ball. Obviously, it was around the same time that Mourinho made some of his substitutes as well. But in general, this possession-based format, especially with a back three who can comfort a midfield of Kovacic and Jorginho where they don't necessarily feel as much pressure to have to go back. The defenders are keeping them a little bit more protected, really gives them the comfort and time on the ball to move it around in a way that, you know, frankly, Nick, I have not seen Jorginho this comfortable in a very long time. And we are really kind of getting the the best out of him. And I think we, we've been accused, uh, you know, or maybe I have been accused of not being a major fan of Jorginho. Uh, but I will say that as we were ch- chatting with our boy Tweeds today, I-, I thought it was a really great match for him. And, you know, the system is getting the best out of some of our players right now. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's surprising. Uh, that that to me is surprising only because when we've played with that similar pivot, that midfield two of, of Kovacic and Jorginho, opposition managers have targeted them as the as the fulcrum of Chelsea and have basically tried to split them up or take them off the ball and make Chelsea go around the horn. Right. And um, defensively too, you know, counterattacks are kind of targeted at both of those guys because they're not the strongest defensively, but they were in command today. Uh, it, it was not, they weren't bothered by Spurs midfield at all. I mean, and Dombele had that one little run against Mason Mount and that was about all he did on the day. Um, and it, it was surprising to me. It almost seemed like they were more worried about Marcus Alonso than they were about like trying to do anything on the midfield. And you know, while while you can laugh about that, I mean, it's it's for a reason, right? I mean, you you don't want him uh, basically uh, playing striker um, in in your in the opposition box. I, I think the performance should be judged on its merits. It wasn't a great performance. The weather was terrible. You know, there are tons of reasons why this wasn't maybe the most attractive game to watch, Chris, but it's a big, big win for Tuchel. You you can't understate that. You know, this is a, a game away at Spurs. It's a hard game. It's Mourinho talking about all the titles that he won before the game and blah, 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 blah. It's, it's classic mind game stuff. And it was kind of comfortable. Yeah, I would say it was like a fairly pedestrian game, right? There wasn't like a ton that really stood out in terms of, you know, special quality or anything like that. But I I do kind of, when you mentioned that comfort with Jorginho, I I do think that he probably does thrive in a more tactical setup. And I think probably one of the things he was missing were, were kind of specific movements that happened around him. Whereas you just see moments in that first half where I'm just going, that was a great passage in play. Like the movement it responds to each other and 
you see the the ball being carried out of dangerous positions and options for defenders playing out from the back. That for me was kind of a thing that was missing towards the end of the Lampard regime was, you know, Ben Chilwell would receive the ball on the left side and basically have nowhere to pass the ball to. He's got to hit it up the pitch long towards Tammy Abraham. And that's a 50-50 at that point. So I, I, I do think that the way that the entire team is moving, and again, for this to be happening so quickly, it's so impressive to me after, what, nine days of him being coaching this team, that they've got a whole pattern of play starting that's that's clearly emerging. Um, and from a result standpoint, it cannot be more important to have won this game, not only to kind of, you know, make sure that Jose is not, you know, prancing around as King of London, but also because you needed to stay above them in the table and need to stay within touching distance of Liverpool and Leicester in the top four. And that's exactly what you achieved with the seven points from nine that begins this Tuchel era. It, it's interesting too, Brandon, because Spurs clearly came out with the press in the second half, right? Um, and that was their that was their game plan is to kind of try and pin Chelsea back or make it uncomfortable. What I found to be reassuring, though, is you know Chelsea's had plenty of problems in the past beating a press. Um, there's been panic that's set in. Um, and I, I would say that this was a far better approach to beating a press. The movements on the half turn, turning into space and just running with the ball and beating the press. Because once you beat the first kind of wave of Spurs press, they don't have the horses to keep coming at you. So I think it was just a a key little tactical thing that Tuchel did, which is quick passes, break the first line, and then carry it forward. And there was plenty of space in the second half. You could argue that Chelsea made a meal of some really good chances that they should have done something with. Um, But I, I thought beating that press is a is a harbinger of things to come because we're going to face opponents like Liverpool and City who are going to counter press and do all the things that we know they do being able to have a game plan to respond to that is key I mean, it, it, none, none more kind of obvious. Like to me, if you're looking at signs for you know when things start to turn, it's Fulham feels comfortable pressing you like aggressively hard. I remember watching the first half of that game, going, they have no respect for. Chelsea playing out from the back, which again, like I just think of it in terms of, and you know, this is perhaps kind of a uh, a very you know different way to view the game than maybe some people, some other people do. But I think if you're a team of a certain stature, you almost have to play the ball out from the back because otherwise, like, what what is the point of having all this money and all this quality if you can't? you know, play out against Fulham, never mind against Spurs. So I think the fact that they started to show that was such a step forward uh, from what we've seen from this Chelsea team uh, basically since Sarri left. Yes. Um, I I saw a lot of that too. It, and to Nick's point, Serge Aurier made two at least like goal-saving tackles that I can think of himself. So I, I'm not an expert in XG, but I'm guessing that if a defender gets in the way or things like that, that it probably doesn't count because it's not a clean shot. But we we like I said, the amount of chances we had, I think Tuchel was he'll probably be happy we got the result, but unhappy that it wasn't more. You know, he's going to hold that really high bar, um, you know, for finishing and for uh, converting the chances because we're doing such a good job. The biggest- Brandon, my gut, my gut tells me that on the XG chart, the very big blue outside the six-yard box was the Timo Werner, Serge Aurier uh, tackle saving that goal because that was probably, probably one of the better... <laughs> 
<laughs> better chances Timo's had to try to convert something uh, in a long time. I will say, in, in the realm of talking about chances, though, I, I don't necessarily think what we watched today were kind of full-on chances, right? They're like opportunities to create something. And I think that's probably the next evolution for Chelsea is turning those opportunities where you've got overloads and wide areas where you're combining well in the middle into, all right, there's clearly a chance on here, right? And I do think that there is kind of that level of half chances, quarter chances that need to, and it's not just about the shot. It's about that extra bit of movement, that extra bit of quality in in, in the opposition box in order to create those kind of clear cut opportunities where you'd say, oh, he has to be scoring. He should be scoring. Like, I, I don't I don't remember that many today uh, from Chelsea. And I think that was probably just because of that last little bit of precision and quality, which Tuchel has talked about now for the last couple of matches. Correct. I think about like the Timo Werner ball that fizzed through the top of the six and Callum didn't really get there in time. Or we just again, the, the yeah, a couple a couple chances like that. So uh, anyways, I think. The, the general big difference I see under Tuchel in these seven of nine points, which is kind of what we're talking about, is that we're able to break the lines. We're able to force defenders and even midfielders to run back towards their own goal. And I know harp on this, but like that's your dream as a team. If you can make the opponents run at their own goal, we saw it with the ball from Aspie into Timo that created the penalty, right? Dyer was running towards his own goal lunged to to block the shot it fumbled around he ended up bringing down Timo but that's what we want to see more even seeing some of a little bit Jorginho the movement up top is becoming very fluid and I'm really excited to see it and I'm just taking my eye test on this but you've got between the posts here talking about how Chelsea didn't play our normal 3-2-4-1 shape. Tuchel started in his first two matches. Instead, today, we inverted the triangle. So we played a 3-4-1-2 with Mount as the number 10 behind Cho and Werner. I'm not even there yet. Tuchel is so far ahead of me in his tactics and his formations. I'm just trying to enjoy it. And he's out there flipping the script and, and making this team, you know, with all these different shapes and hard to prepare for. He's done it in a week, Nick. Literally eight days. Yeah, I, I do. I do like this though. By the way, I, I I do like Mount as the as the ten. Like on on another day, you know, obviously Mount's pass into Werner goes in the back of the net, and that would have been a really great assist because it was a, it was a quality pass and just a great defensive play to to stop it. And Mount had three or four chances in the second half when when Spurs had kind of countered and they had a little bit more possession. He had the the one that he sprayed wide um, on his own, and then he had another that he didn't make the right pass into. And, but he's operating with such incredible space, Dan, that like you would just assume that if he has that much space moving forward against Sheffield, he's going to end up creating a goal for sure. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll move us along to the highlighted part of the script that you have here, Brandon, which Ooh. was talking about the powerful performances of players like Callum, Mason, Reese James, Jorginho, getting us the three points, but specifically talking about the Mason piece. Uh, Statman Dave had uh, some wonderful numbers for us to review. 100% take-ons completed, 91% pass accuracy, 28 final third passes, three fouls suffered, three chances created, three shots, one on target, two ball recoveries, lively performance, and yeah, I mean, he's definitely getting time. He's getting to enjoy himself. Uh, surprise, surprise. Mason Mount is a great footballer, regardless of who his manager happens to be, uh, whether or not they are his true parent. 
Um, you know, look, it, it's it'll be interesting to see if he can take a few seconds on the ball and try to to steady his shot. It it seemed a little rushed. The one or two opportunities he had today uh, didn't maybe oh, yeah. have kind of the full power going through it, Chris. But in general, in every area except maybe those one or two shots, uh, almost a, a flawless game beyond that. Yeah, I, I just do kind of wonder, though, when Lively becomes quality rich. Because um, I do think, again, we're talking about a club with the standard of Chelsea. If you're going to play in one of the three attacking positions, it has to be more quality, right? And And I do obviously appreciate and, and there are moments where like I, I noted in a game a couple of weeks ago where like Mason Mount ended up playing like left back on a counterattack and did so flawlessly right I completely understand why Frank Lampard and Gareth Southgate and it would appear Thomas Tuchel are on their way to loving this player because he does so many things that help you win matches right but again if you're going to be in attacking position, it has to be more quality. Uh, you know, I think people were a bit harsh in saying that he should have scored in the chance uh, that was saved from Hugo Lloris. I thought he hit that about as well as you can with your weaker foot directionally towards the right corner. So I'm not going to criticize him for that. But it's just in those areas, I, I don't think that there's enough quality at certain times, albeit everything else is fantastic. So in, in, my, in my view, I think he's got... So much in his locker, but ultimately in these sorts of games, in those in those sorts of moments, if you don't score the goals, and he said it himself, he said it to BT after the game. I talked with Tuchel. I know I've got to score one or two, one or two of those chances. Um, but I, I I just think that until he has this you know great patch of form where he puts away the chances that he either creates for himself or is created for him, that I, I'm going to need to see more from him in that area. Yeah, I mean we we know that. Um that that mike uh shares some same uh similar feelings uh chris we've had many a a text thread banter about this i i think i think you're looking at at a different kind of issue though like he all he can do is put a ball on a plate for timo timo has to finish it right Mm -hmm. uh that's one assist and then you're looking at the stat line a little bit differently in my view uh, not only was Mason probably the most active of the front three today in terms of covering ground, I think he was also the most dangerous in terms of getting into space. And while that doesn't show up on Statman Dave's uh, little chart here, um, it certainly passed my eye test. Now, of course, you want those to go in, right? Um, I think we're looking at our, our own countrymen as well on some of these chances yeah. to go in. I, I, I can't. I honestly don't think I can pick out an attacker's performance today that was especially great. Man. Like I think Hudson Adoy, there was a lot going down that right hand side, and I think both he and Reese James probably passed backwards and sideways too much. Um, and then Werner, I, I you know di- didn't make a huge impact on the game. I thought the the quality came from what was behind them. I think you know uh, that that back three was great, and the the central midfield was great. But I, I I agree that of the attackers, Mason probably played the best today. Well, it was nice to see him to uh, get a little stick in, stuck in on Hoiberg as well. Um, you know, him, Alonzo, Reese uh, definitely were letting making themselves known, which was nice because typically when we go up against Spurs, you know, you've seen that. Like, thankfully, Lamelo was not in the game for a full ninety minutes because it would have driven me absolutely batty. But uh, it was nice to see us kind of give it a little back in the way that Mourinho's sides typically try to give it to uh, others, and most specifically Chelsea when we play each other, Brandon. So Mason um, has almost regressed a little bit in his finishing. He he popped up with some good goals last season, you know, in the push. 
I think there's a lot of adjusting for him this season. We're playing different formations last season. This season, you know, he was playing right wing for the beginning of the season because we had a lot of injuries. We were playing different formations. He, you know, we talked about how he was Lampard's kind of Swiss Army knife. Wherever I got a hole, I'm putting Mason just because I have injuries, I have suspensions, whatever it may be. I think Tuchel knows exactly what he wants to do with this team, and that is going to give clear direction to Mason. If it's number 10 and he gets a run in those situations, um, he's going to have to step up because the amount of chances he had today, you think about Atletico Madrid, you think about you know pushing for top four, we need those goals. And Tuchel knows it, Mason knows it, so um, it's good that he's getting into those situations, and he's going to have to put his head down and, and find it. Finishing has been a problem all year by every player on the field. I mean, outside of Alonzo, who's shooting 50 percent, right? Like, I mean, (laughs) this is a it's just been a problem. I mean, you've even had strikers go through hot patches and and the team at large is still having problems kind of finishing around goal. Uh, what I what I like about this role for Mason, it's you know, look, you have Havertz and Ziyech. You have a bunch of players who can play this role. This is not just his to own, but but particularly for him in this role, I love that he's able to turn and carry because it brings your defenders up. And when you're playing two back or two strikers, Chris, two forwards, whatever they are now. Um, yeah. that's a problem for a center back pairing. Who steps up? Right? Who, mm-hmm. steps, who tries to stop ball? That's tough. Especially because they split so far out wide, right? Timo mm-hmm. kind of wants to start on the left edge of the penalty area, and Hudson Adoy can play all the way to the touchline if he wants to. But I, I, I do like the way that looks. I, I just, I'm kind of wondering yeah, obviously, this shape has worked so well, um, but. If you'd said in an ideal world, do you want the shape to work for Marcus Alonso or for Hakim Ziyech or Christian Pulisic? You definitely go with the latter, right? And I just do wonder if putting on essentially another defender for one less attacker, it gives you more balance. But also, I did feel at times where it, I, I did think the attack looked a little short, short one number, right? And I do think that I would imagine the ideal look for Chelsea is a 4-2-3-1 or something that involves a 3-1 or a 2-2, right? The the the, the German pressing system, even if you want to. I, I honestly thought that that's where Tuchel was going, but he's ended up going to this back three system. So I, I am curious kind of how your, your star players, right? Your Ziyech's, your Havertz's uh, succeed in the current setup. And if it comes to uh, the replacement of Hudson-Odoi, although he might drop back to wingback or, 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 or to mount. But I, I, I do feel like, you know, being short that extra number is probably something that you know if you're thinking about getting more goals and 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 being more clinical you want one more player out there that is at least a threat I think that's where the opposition teams are going to let Mateo Kovacic uh, shoot from distance exactly a hundred times a game uh, and they would be perfectly fine with it and so yeah I think we we did see moments in this match where we had more players in the box or near goal but they weren't always working in concert with one another or they weren't positioning themselves to receive the ball in an area that was going to give them a high quality shot. It was or there or there were or there weren't players who you'd want in those positions Correct. as you mentioned with Kovacic. You know, he had he had the one kind of he tried to pass in the bottom corner and ended up like, you know, five yards wide chance right on the edge of the area. If that's, you know, a, a hard charging central midfielder who's got a goal in him, for me, I think Mason Mount can play deeper. And if that's him arriving in that spot, I'd feel better about it. But um I, I do think that, you know, as as you're as you're pointing out, it's positionally, but it's also 
are these the players you want arriving in those areas? I, I think this is a factor, uh, Brandon, of the, the formation is a factor of you cannot lose right now. You know, you can't really give up much and you and you hope that you can create just enough to build some confidence within this team and to to figure out a way to not leak goals unnecessarily. And like I don't I don't know necessarily, by the way, if this three back system is going to be the, the formation forever. But I mean, defensively, it's looked pretty convincing to this point. And it, it has to be said, like, I mean, we we're not giving up a myriad of shots. You know, mm-hmm. Mendy's not done much. To be Love it. fair, a goalkeeper union, that's his favorite job is just to stand there and look pretty all match. Um, I'm that's not even sure you, he, that's how you made your millions. I mean, that's I, well <laughs> in college, as we all know. Um, so uh, you yeah, look, Reese James came in today, he fit in seamlessly. Um, not sure how much right wing back he's played, but we know he could do it. He was, he was in, uh, him and Callum had great chemistry. Uh, he was. I would have liked to have seen him serve the ball a little sooner. I felt like he kind of stopped it and sat on it a few times. But at the end of the day, in the first half, he had 100% of his dribbles completed, 100% pass accuracy, 100% tackles won from Statman Dave. And you know he, he you can count him to do the defensive work. He'll tackle, he'll track back, he'll harass, and he'll, he'll harry the, the, the players where he wants them to go. So, again, it's just getting him a little bit more comfortable. And then he flipped with Callum. So Callum now playing is one of the, what is he? So what is Tuchel call? He has double sixes and double tens. Is that kind of how he's explaining it in this formation? But e- either way, Callum hudson is running absolutely everywhere on that right side, Dan. And I can't remember if, do we think his best position is on the left so we could cut in or whatever, but he, he seems to be settling in on the right quite well. It's probably on the left. Uh, you know, there, there was also a good thread pre-match because, you know, we talked about this, you know, playing, you know, almost you know, as an additional like striker, shadow striker kind of in this, you know, formation too that our friend Phil Chelsea Youth kind of tweeted out, you know, the 1617, uh, you know, Youth Cup campaign on Callum doing this in a similar fashion and having a lot of freedom and, and enjoying himself in, in this role. And so it would be interesting to see you know, if it just seems though, you know, regardless of where he's playing, left or right, uh, you know, when we when he was on the pitch, we had a much easier time maintaining possession of the ball. When we did make the switch to uh, Christian, you know, uh, ball possession is not his strength. Uh, you know, he gets dispossessed maybe a little bit more. Uh, him and Timo uh, operating in a left kind of sided space together is not ideal for keeping the ball, which if you're trying to lock lock up shop on a one nil victory, uh, not ideal uh, uh, much at all. But in general, you know, I think Callum is finding goodness under under Tuchel right now. And it'll be interesting to see where he does find the right type of effectiveness in, in this setup. I, I think he created more as a wingback. Than he did today. I, I'll be honest. I, I I expected a little bit more from him today, and I, I, and it seemed a little timid to to be honest, and it, which is surprising because I thought he would have been double barrel ready to go. Um, you know that, that that was a little interesting. I also think that the that Tuchel made a mistake in not bringing on uh, Tammy or Giroux for Werner early in the second half because it, it was just kind of clear to me that there wasn't. A whole lot of impetus there, Chris. It it, it, mm-hmm. it didn't look like it was going to come off, and like he clearly could have got one, you know, if if not for the steel face of uh, 
of Eric Dyer <laughs> just stepping in <laughs> time and time yeah. again. But, you know, it's it, it just hasn't been convincing. He's getting a ton of opportunities. Uh, he's getting more opportunities than Pulisic's been getting recently and, and not delivering a whole lot. So I, I would have kept Cal in. I would have thought about, you know, how to switch up the striker and maybe you get a little bit of hold-up play that allows Cal in behind or something. Yeah, I think if not for the Thiago Silva injury, probably would have seen mm-hmm. one of those strikers come on and and play the hold up role because it was needed, particularly in those last twenty minutes. As as you said, I think you know from a ball possession standpoint, I think Timo has some way to go. Um, the the first touch at times is lacking in quality, and I, I, it's just not in his toolbox at the moment. So I, I do think that it was probably needed that that Ali would come on or or, or Tammy would come on. I, for me, the the Hudson Adoy thing is is fascinating because his best work is done when his you know the, the the heels are on the chalk of the touchline, right? Like that's him at his best. And I do think this kind of, I would call it like, you know, in FIFA, it's like the RF position. Like, mm-hmm. like that, that's kind of what it looked like in this setup is kind of right forward play on the right edge of the penalty area. But I do think you kind of want him starting further out wide. And I totally, I totally agree, Nick, with your assessment, which is that he's better as a wing back in this setup. Um, and understanding that in this game, you probably needed to have uh, someone a bit more defensive minded. And Reese James uh, came in and did that job, uh, particularly towards the end of the game. But, um, I, I do think that Hudson Adoy is better served in that position and kind of having a different view of it. Whereas I do think when you're playing in that inside forward position, you do have to kind of have a 360 view of the game as opposed to just kind of that that 180. Which I think it, I, I don't I don't think Hudson Adoy's vision is in that area uh, in order is that good in order to be in that position. So yes, the the two number tens forward, whatever you want to call it. They're the ones that are really pushing the outside backs and stretching the center backs in this formation. Whereas the wing back, they're following the play. Unless you're Marcos Alonso and you're busting your ass into the box and running across the six because that's what you do as a wing back. But like Aspie and Reese James and even Callum before, they they're finding these pockets, right? Of they're just behind that penalty box or the 18 area, and they're able to get their service in or overlap. And so you're definitely going to get a lot more time on the ball in the wingback spot. And so Callum, again, I, just the fact we're having a conversation, though. I mean, remember, he, he's barely played up until this point, unless it's FA Cup. Now, all of a sudden, he's started three Premier League matches in a row, and this is a new look for him. And he's still only, what, 20 or whatever it is. So I love that he's being forced in these situations and having to learn, having to adapt, and having to grow and still showing promise and, and potential in these situations because, um, you know, this is this was his chance until Akim Ziyech gets healthy to potentially come back into the right, right forward slot, and, and he's giving us some options. Um, another, the last one I think we want to talk about very specifically – uh, Dan is, as you said, your your favorite player, Jorginho. <laughs> this double six, it seems to be working with him and Kovacic. Kovacic is getting a lot of plaudits, but I think by Jorginho we want to touch on today, yes, he did the penalty fine, but even just the movement and the ball releasing, he's not Maritza Sarri, he's not Frank Lampard, he's literally another version of Jorginho that I don't know we've seen I think pretty much every Chelsea fan was ready to move on for Jorginho and just say, hey, it's not really on you. It just didn't work out. Your specialty player, he might have it. I'm confused. I am, I'm absolutely confused by Jorginho right now. 
Yeah, especially on the heels of the rumors of contract extensions till 2025. I and don't know what the, that means. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the Jorginho that we're getting. This is the Jorginho 2021 demanded. And uh, there was a good tweet from, from Michael Cox, who uh, you know, wrote the Zonal Marking book. But uh, he re- resurrected a 2019 tweet where he talked about the best deep-lying playmakers uh being able to buy a a free kick when they get themselves into trouble. And he re- he tweeted in this match, very good from Jorginho here, where he bought that <laughs> free kick when he got himself into a little yeah. bit of trouble. Uh but th- well, this it was, was more that it was, it was, it was more that Mendy put him it was more that Mendy put him in, in a position to be in a tough spot. It was playing out from the back and like yeah. slid this through ball right up the middle of the pitch and like, whoa, Mendy, that was some <laughs> chance he took, but Jorginho bought him that foul and everything was fine. The longer Mendy has the ball at his feet, by the way, the more scared I get. I just want to put that on the record. Yeah, I, I do not like seeing him with the ball for more than about half a second. I just wanted to go in any other direction than staying at his feet. I think that's harsh. I think he's been decent with his distribution. <laughs> I, I'm not. He's, I'm just saying. Risky. I'm nervous. He, see, he does not seem risk adverse. Uh, he actually seems to chal- relish the opportunity for the dangerous yeah, pass. <laughs> I like it. That's fun. <laughs> Uh, but, but flipping back to Jorginho, yeah, I, I, you know, forward passes, uh, that was great to see. You know, I think he was, uh, you know, moving, moving the ball well. I, I, you know, the back three gives him so much more confidence to operate, you know, when, when you have that back two and when you have the, you know, the left back and the right back push so far forward, it, it does require him to at times drop into almost a center back role. And in the Premier League, Jorginho's, you know, maybe a speed, maybe physicality would, would get picked on a little bit by some of the the stronger attacks or, or midfields, Nick. And so this match, you know, especially when we've been given a lot of possession, has been so beneficial for him. I think the interesting test will come in matches where it is a little bit more competitive, where we will be challenged a little bit more from a from a physical standpoint. Yeah, I, I was I was watching the midfield uh, with a keen eye today because I, I thought Spurs were trying to overwhelm the midfield and and again force Chelsea out uh, onto the flanks and you know the, frankly that that I think would have been fine too you know I think Chelsea were well prepared for that but um, the midfield were uh, were moving the ball very quickly and they were moving it quickly forward not back side to side you know putting each other in tough positions especially as I said before, with the press. Um, so I, w- I was very intrigued by that. I think the only difficulty is with the way that Chelsea played today and because Tottenham's pitch is so big. I mean, it's like new camp big over there. It's a lot of room to cover. Um, and they got really tired at the end. There was a lot of sloppiness in the last 10 minutes. And so I think that's just something to, to keep your eye on. I mean, even Conte, when he came on, had a little... Uh, he got caught on the ball once or twice in midfield, and and you know that that wasn't uh, what we needed at the, at that point. So uh, I think it was a good, really good performance from Jorginho. Deserves all the credit that he gets here. Uh, I think Kovacic also played relatively well. They linked up with Mount well, and then they spread it across to Alonso and James, um, and that's their job. You know, the, it was a little scrappy in, in midfield, Brandon, but um, you know it's also a Chelsea Tottenham game. So what do you expect? And that is where the comparisons of the new camp and the Tottenham Stadium end. Just the size of the field is large. That's all I'm saying. They're not one close. has trophies, one doesn't. Yeah, well, um, I think before we wrap uh, with the Dan of the match and and kind of the 
context of the other results uh, from, what are we on, match week 22. Um, I kind of said this out loud a couple times, Discord, asked a question. Under Tuchel, is, is Kurt Zuma the biggest loser? Twitch, I think <laughs> actually it was in our chat with Mike Ryan. He said N'Golo Kante might be the biggest loser under Tuchel. So I said Zuma just because he doesn't he's not a ball playing center back, but he can be imperious, dominates the air, uh tough tackles. So in a back four it makes sense. I don't know how he's gonna do in a back three. And we saw today that Christensen came in off the bench. So I as sad as that sounds, like if nothing changes from a, a back line, you know, kind of structure he might be the one that went from starter to fourth string in about two and a half weeks. And I don't have a good answer for that. Uh, Nick, do you have any opinions on Zuma Conte or maybe someone else kind of being the quote unquote biggest loser when it comes to minutes? Chill. Well, <laughs> I I'm, I'm a little, I, I was actually kind of, st- I thought uh, Tuchel might actually pull Chillwell uh, in to start today, just because everyone was so focused on Alonzo. It would be your classic, like, pump up the 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 one guy and then and then switch him out with the other guy. I, I'm a little worried about Chilwell. I, I he was brought in by Frank to do a very specific job. The system has changed. Hypothetically he should have a lot more freedom to operate with, with protection in behind, but I don't know. I'm I'm a little I'm a little iffy on that one. He's got really good service. We've seen that. He played so far advanced with Leicester City. I, I would like, to, I would hope, right, as the eternal optimist, Dan, I would hope that he can pull it out. But where do you stand on, I guess, these three players? Or do you have option D? Well, I mean, I think another individual is a wonderful hair critique artist, uh, Olivier Giroud, is probably uh, <laughs> going to be a consideration as well. If you think about Timo getting a lot of minutes so far, um, experimenting with what that striker setup looks like up, up top. You know, if you want to play more balls kind of direct on the ground or kind of uh, whip in at pace, Olivier Giroud might not be the target forward that is going to be naturally suited to playing the way that we've seen so far. You know, I, I thought of anyone, I thought actually Tammy coming in, you know, obviously the, the Silva injury changed things, but Tammy would have been making some of those runs uh, into the box a little bit more um, and, and giving those forward attackers, giving those, uh, you know, Reese James crosses, maybe a little bit of a, uh, you know, individual to hit it in stride or knock it in with his knee or knock it off a body part like we've seen before. And so, uh, maybe that's the other one. I, I think there, there's going to be a bunch of people who miss out, Chris. I think we could pull you know, mm-hmm. five or six names out of that. Billy Gilmore could be another person. Yeah, that was know. the one I was going to bring up. Yeah, perfect. I set you up perfectly. Run. Go with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, B- Billy Gilmore, was he's obviously like starting to rise into the team and, and was playing a fair bit. And then Tuchel kind of you know put a pin in that in that balloon when he was talking about his level of physicality and that's always something that uh, I thought a fair bit about was you know could could he withstand playing in that central midfield area but we're also talking about Jorginho and Kovacic potentially being a soft center depending on the situation so um, I I do kind of wonder if he'll have a return into the side Hakim Ziyech as well as a player that started the first match and then the red zone was sighted and then he wasn't brought off the bench as well uh, in the game against Spurs but uh, to to Brandon's point it, it is for me 
Kurt Zuma. I think he is probably the center back that will not feature. I honestly wouldn't even be surprised if Fakayo Tamori was still with the side, that Tamori would play ahead of Kurt Zuma just because of the specific skill set that Tuchel would probably would presumably want in a center back. So I do think that Lampard had a different use for you know what a center back was and didn't think that that distribution aspect was such a huge part of the of you know what was needed from a center back, which is why Zuma played a fair bit. But I do think in the present setup, he probably is the one that stands to have a most significant reduction of minutes. Now he didn't make the bench today, um, at least in part because according to him, he did pick up a knock in training. Both he and Kai Havertz picked up knocks in training. But uh, we'll see going forward how often he makes the bench. Which you know, considering there's nine men benches now, um, it, would, it would be fairly noteworthy if he doesn't in in matches to come. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I was thinking about something different. Um. <laughs> But, you know, with Zoom again, and it comes back to how nice of a guy he is, it just makes you like, it, 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 like, are we kidding? Zuma and Conte, the nicest guys on the team are frozen out by like this manager change. Um, but back to your thick point, I think everyone on this podcast would say he, he should start in that back three because of his speed, his physicality and his ability to play the ball. Uh, so I think Tuchel was probably like, joined i joined five days too late like damn it i we could have had Fakayo, but hey maybe that opens the path for next season so uh, assuming tuchel makes it you know to the two next season with the way chelsea are these days Portent uh, <laughs> of doom brandon busby i mean you, uh, you don't have him lasting four months i mean we're, we're talking I'm about playing, seven points from nine i'm playing into the narrative Come you know, on. the bad boys uh, of Chelsea terrible. again. The bad boys of the Chelsea has, boardroom again. He has about 17 months left, so let's, just, <laughs> let's enjoy them while they're there. Dan of the match, send it, sir. All right, well, you know, no surprise, uh, I think, from our conversation that uh, Chris Whittingham's favorite player, Mason Mount, with 53, uh, 54% <laughs> of the vote, was our man, our Dan of the match. A two-way tie, though, for second place uh, between <laughs> Jorginho and Eric Dyer, who Come legitimately on. could have been Chelsea's <laughs> best player uh, in this match, created our best opportunity for a shot on goal, and then Callum Hudson Doyle with three percent. You know, so uh, the people were a little, little divided today. Look, you're not, you're not going to get Eric Dyer as an option on the very similarly positioned <laughs> uh, Chelsea FC social question for man of the match. We see you, um, Eric Dyer. Quality option here, though. Really struggled today. Yeah. Not a very good defender at all. And in fact, just kind of uh, kind of a lug out there. Eh. I thought uh, I thought Ben Davies was like similarly bad too. I, I thought actually he as as much as Dyer kind of had some some bigger moments where uh, he looked like he was incompetent on the ball and forced his own goalkeeper to head the ball out for a corner. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I thought Ben da- like Ben Davies got the runaround as well down that right side. And look, uh, part of that is. You know, Thomas Duco got his first half set up spot on with his, you know, not only having Hudson Adoy down the right, but James and occasionally Spili Quetta as well. And you'd think, hey, Sun's on that side. Be careful sending that many numbers forward. But Chelsea just had the counter completely squeezed the entire first half that it wasn't that big of a deal. And it led to a complete tormenting of that left hand side for, uh, for, 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 for Spurs. <laughs> I mean, re- real question. Like, he's well, a guy that careful, I... Careful, careful. He, he, he had a shot with like 15... No. So he had like tell me no because I got no points. <laughs> I know I know he had the shot at the end. I, what what I'm saying slightly though is scary. slightly he, scary. He's a guy that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. He's very good, but 
did not make an impact on the game. Like, didn't. And, and, and I, I wanted to bring this up earlier because you're talking about the, the midfield area and obviously how Jorginho and Kovacic are looking good. I do wonder, though, how different this game looks with Harry Kane. And I know I, I don't yeah. want to like bring up, well, if the opposition were fit, because obviously everyone's always struggling with something, particularly in a, in a season this pack. But there was one moment where Vinicius was running forward with the ball, and he had like the classic Spurs counter look. He managed to wriggle free from a midfield tackle. It was like three against three, and the defense looked stretched. And he you know slid the ball out after taking one too many touches, and the counterattack just died, whereas... We've seen Kane be clinical in those kinds of moments. So I do kind of wonder if with him on the pitch, you might have had a few more questions about the solidity, particularly of that central midfield area. But with Vinicius in the side, this is why I thought Chelsea had a chance to win this game. And probably a decent one is because it's such a drop off, uh, particularly under Jose when Kane doesn't play. And Gareth Bale was on the bench the entire time. But honestly, Chris, I don't want to think about what a what an absolute like farcical response <laughs> to the question about Gareth Bale being available. Like I, I won't answer that question. You don't deserve an answer. Like, come on, <laughs> give me a it's break. It's classic is, Mourinho. Oh, it's, it's just terrible. It was terrible. So it, it's clear that it's not going well for those two. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that Jose didn't want a one-way winger in his side. Weird. Did they renew uh, All or Nothing, uh, the Tottenham Hotspur story <laughs> of doom, and uh, uh, for a second season? Because it would be a delight. I think they're going to Bayern this year, um, <laughs> which is which is uh, that that's a good. They're a quality team, Bayern. Um, they have to re re rename it to All or Nothing from the All for Nothing series that they started with the Spurs. So. Yeah, they they didn't get much out of that. Um, so other Premier League results around the league, uh, Sheffield on a bit of a tear, uh, beating West Brom 2-1. All right, what hold f- on. Okay, here. what the fuck? How is every team, <laughs> every team that we play is on the best run of, except for Spurs, obviously, uh, having lost in a row. But like Sheffield, if One, you had of the last five, if you had offered them, if they could buy a win for half of their squad early in the season, they would have said yes. <laughs> uh, three of five, they won three out of five, and they give they actually gave City a good game, like eleven I mean, points. So, so there's on. that. Uh, Wolves beating double red card Arsenal two one. Uh, United absolutely thumping <laughs> ten man we, Southampton. Can we quickly say the double right card Arsenal, my favorite Arsenal. (laughs) So particularly one of those involves David Luiz. Well, it it was also a Craig Pawson special. So, you know, you you knew you were going to get some fun because uh, Craig P just wiles out. Hey, a week ago, we were level on points with Arsenal. We're now in sixth and they're in tenth. So uh, I that that is great. I was worried there for a while. Look, Crystal Palace has come back to beat Newcastle. Man City beating Burnley. Leicester City over Fulham. Uh, Everton over Leeds. West Ham over Villa. Brighton over Liverpool. You heard that right. Brighton on a tear, by the and, way. Yeah. And uh, obviously Chelsea over Tottenham the last match of the weekend. So Surprised per- Chelsea don't play Brighton this weekend. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's about right. <laughs> well, yes. And and to your to your point, so upcoming for Chelsea, uh let's see, where did I lose them? Here we go. So we have Sheffield United at on Sunday to, to Nick's point earlier. 
Uh, but then we turn out Barnsley in the FA Cup, Newcastle, Southampton, and then we get into Atletico Madrid in the Champions League run. So, uh, you know, hugely pivotal month. Oh, yeah, and we have Atletico, United, Everton, Leeds, Atletico. So that'll be a fun two weeks. Murderer's row. Yeah, so Premier League table as it stands. Man City running away with the title on 47 points. Uh, United in second on 44. Leicester City third on 42. Liverpool fourth on 40. Then you got West Ham fifth on 38. Chelsea sixth on 36 points. We're tied with Everton, but whooping them in goal difference. Um, uh, and then, they yeah, have two, they have two games in hand on us, though. So. Yeah, but goal difference, Nick. All right, come on. <clears throat> one yeah. versus City and one versus uh, Aston Villa, though. So you cannot pencil in six points for yeah, Nick across those two. Mike, drop. Anyways, <laughs> uh, Fulham 18th, West Brom 19th, Sheffield United 20th, and down at the bottom. And that's the table. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Whittingham, welcome. Welcome to the pod, sir. It's been an absolute pleasure. First cap. First <laughs> Thanks, cap. gents. Um, it was enjoyable. Uh, well, linked in to his social media stuff. Obviously, again, Chelsea mic'd up. You should know about that. If not, shame on you. It's it's literally the official Chelsea FC podcast. Brandon. Um, and Brandon, are you trying to outro before we talk about the Chelsea women? No, I'm wrapping up the men's stuff so we can get to Chelsea women because that is next, Dan. You just you ruined my flow. All right, everything I had going for me, you just Did ruined I? it. You butted in, and now look, your turn. You take over. Yeah, Dan, you host. <laughs> Well, hey, uh, I don't know if you're aware, but the Chelsea women are Chelsea's best team. Surprise, surprise uh, to no one. Uh, The fact that Emma Hayes is getting offers from AFC Wimbledon to handle a relegation side, uh, not flattery uh, in any way, shape or form, um, you know, because she's just that damn good. Um, But anyway, we beat West Ham women 6-0. Pernell Harder gets an amazing hat trick. Goals also from Sophie Engel, who just uh, blasted from distance. Uh, got a little bit of a healthy bounce there. She but only that's okay. scores bangers. Yeah, only, only scores, scores bangers. bangers. Very true. Beth England also gets a goal, and Frank Kirby too. It was just, it was a field day. It was a wonderful day. We're advancing to the Cup Finals. We're going to play Bristol City, who beat Man City women one nothing. And uh, I don't know. Just pray for Bristol City because this team is just. On fire, Nick. Like, there's, there, I don't know what else to say other than they are Chelsea's best team. They are absolutely cooking right now. It is. It looks effortless. I, you know, I'm sure it isn't effortless, but it. They just look like they're so in sync right now, and then in a, in a team with this many talented superstar level players, for some of the selfless passing that goes on, Chris, uh, to me. That that's the sign that Emma has complete and utter control of this team. That that the ego has not popped through when it has all the right to. I've always been most admiring of the way that they defend, actually, and I, I know that they're not often defending because they have so many great attacking players. But talking about to, my girl Millie Bright, is that, is <laughs> that what you're no, no, no. About? we love M Dog on the pod, but what I'm saying is like the pressing from the front and. The, the requiring when you're playing like two strikers and two wingers that are basically strikers and uh, <laughs> central midfield players that are like a basically a 10 and an eight, like how you get those six players to all work incredibly hard and press from the front and do all the dirty work when these are some of the best players in the world at being attackers. I've I always found that to be the most amazing part of Chelsea. But as you mentioned, once they developed a passing pattern of play early, early doors in the season, it wasn't flawless, but it wasn't going to be given the signings that they made. But 
man, if they hit their stride come, you know, the latter stages of the Champions League, they've got a chance to be the European champions of of, of the women's game. And I think uh, that's probably the part that now, if you're talking about, you know, what's next, what are you looking forward to? It's obviously them continuing to uh, lock down a Women's Super League title, but also potentially uh, champions of, of Europe is on if they play like this. Dan throwing out the treble vibes. I see it in his eyes. So uh, it is alive. Use it to my ears. Live and well. So, all right. Now I can outro this bad boy, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. Yeah, I give you permission, Brandon. You can, oh you can close up gosh. shop now. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Again, go follow Chris on social media. Go listen to the Chelsea Mic'd Up podcast. Uh, good friends uh, in, a, in the little Chelsea community as well. So uh, appreciate his, again, what is it? Not unbiased, neutral, neutral observing, observer. neutral observer. Yeah, Come I, on, I, look, we got the better half of the pod on. Hey, no <laughs> argument we got there. The better half Much in. better. No oh, argument. I, would never that. I would never well, say that. Yeah, All right. we're saying it. We're let, saying. let us know what you agreed with and disagreed with on social media. <laughs> Obviously, Discord is the best way to get a hold of us and have uh, a good time in the Chelsea community. But that's going to wrap us up. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do: keep the blue flag flying high.